morning, church. Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, we had a full Christmas Eve last night. It was an awesome evening. I know several of you were here last night. That was awesome, wasn't it? And um, I know for uh, probably all of us, uh, Christmas is a time, especially Christmas Day, of family. And uh, it is certainly for me. And uh, I'm so glad that you took time out to be with your faith family this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to close down this Advent series. We've been in in a series called The Promise of Christmas, and uh, it's kind of been leading up to this moment. And and while you're grabbing your Bible, maybe your outline and a pen to get in hand, um, let me just remind you of, of something I've shared with you before. Advent is all about thinking back about the coming of Christ, but it's also about thinking forward to the second coming of Christ. And so this scripture that we're going to be reading this morning from the book of Luke is especially um, resounding with that. It's a reflection of that, that thinking back about the birth of Christ and looking forward to the coming of Christ. So if you have your outline in front of you, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2 this morning, but it's a little different than the normal Christmas story we would read in Luke chapter 2. It's about a guy named Simeon and a lady named Anna who are there when Mary and and Joseph bring Jesus to be dedicated at the temple. And one of the things we're going to discover is that this this whole nativity story, this Advent story, is filled with people who are dedicated to God. So read with me, if you will, from, oh, oh, I forgot to mention a couple things. Oh, before we do that, can I just remind you about two things? almost forgot, okay? So excited about preaching. So uh, two things real quickly. Uh, The first one is inside your worship guide, if you have a worship guide, and I don't have one here with me, but inside on the bottom left-hand corner, there's a little thing there that tells you that we're, um, we're changing a little bit of the way we do our online giving. Thank you. And there's a little symbol there called, uh, with a P, called push pay. And I just wanted to make you aware of that because more and more folks are going online to do their giving. Um, and the new way, you'll be hearing more about this in the coming year, is now you can give uh, via our website through a new merchant account. It used to be Simple Give, now it's going to be called PushPay. So if, you've been, if you're going to be an online giver, you might have to go back in and re-enter your information now to be able to do that on our website. But the cool thing is now you'll be able to give also from text, from a phone app, um, in person like, you, like many of you do already, and then also inside HP Connect, which you'll hear of more in January. So anyway, cool thing, just wanted to remind you, if, you, if you're an online giver, giver and you go to the website like you normally do, and it's a little bit changed, uh, just understand that all you really got to do is go back in there, enter your information, and you'll be able to do things just like you always have. And then the other thing I want to mention was don't forget January the 8th, right there in the very center of your worship guide, Family and Friends Sunday. Uh, that's going to be at one of our opening Sundays of the brand new year, and we are in, inviting folks to invite others to come within and, wor- and worship. The way I'm, way I'm sharing it is we're asking you to do two things, to invest in a conversation and to invite people to come to church with you. We're going to host a great lunch that day, a free lunch, Shane's Rib Shack. As a matter of fact, we have some phenomenal first-time guests, uh, gifts that we're going to give away that, that day, so you'll hear more about that in the uh, next Sunday. But um, you want to invite family and friends to come and join you for that day. It's going to be an awesome day of worship for us on January the 8th. Okay, let's read the scripture together if we can, okay? Matthew, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 27. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him that is Jesus, took the baby Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, 
a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. By the way, I encourage you to grab a pen because I'm going to be uh, sharing some things maybe you haven't learned before or you didn't know, and you're invited just to write those in the margin of the notes. But one of the first things I want to notice is at the very beginning when it talks about Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to, the, to, to Jerusalem to be consecrated, to present him to the Lord. I remember Julie and I doing this with Abigail. As a matter of fact, on the day we had her baptized, I wrote a song uh, called Consecration, where we consecrated Abigail back to God. We, we gave our little girl back to God. That's exactly what Mary and Joseph are doing, but they're also adding in a sacrifice that they were to do there according to the law. So we learn about Mary one more time, but these are incredibly devoted and dedicated people. But have you noticed that this whole story is filled with incredibly devoted and dedicated people? I mean, you have Mary and Joseph. You have uh, Zachariah, who was a priest, and you have Elizabeth, who are going to birth John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, to tell the story about who the Messiah is. You, you have the folks we studied just last night at our Christmas Eve service, the Magi, who probably journeyed six months of their life following a star, who are even from another region and another religion, who have been devoted enough to come and worship Christ. So in this story, we're going to meet two more incredibly dedicated, devoted folks, Simeon and Anna. Now, before we get to Simeon and Anna, I just want to mention about Mary and Joseph. One of the things I love about who this young couple is, is they, 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 are, they are literally young in their age, but they are completely devout in their faith. And I believe that even if Jesus were not the Son of God, and even if they were birthing a child of their own, and, and, and this story was not at all about Emmanuel coming to be with us, I still think Joseph and Mary would have been at the temple that day. I think they're that kind of people who are devoted and dedicated, and they follow their faith, and that's who they are. And they are obedient to the law, which means they come and they present their child at the temple. And it reminds me that obedience to God is oftentimes not about comfort, you know? For them, this was probably an inconvenient journey. They just had a baby, but they were going to journey to Jerusalem. And it was also not only an inconvenient journey, it was a sacrificial journey. They, they were poor, but now they had, to buy, they had to pay for a sacrifice to be able to offer at the temple, temple and dedicate their child back to God. These are incredibly dedicated and devoted folks. And then we get this story about this guy named Simeon. By the way, if you have Simeon, you might want to underline that name. And let me tell you what it means. His name literally means God has heard. That's the name. That's what his name means. Simeon's name, God has heard. And you can tell from the story that Simeon has been talking with God a lot and that God had heard his cry. Simeon's cry was that the Messiah would come and he would be able to see the Messiah come. I don't know that he knew it was going to be in the form of a baby, but his, his dream and his, his faith statement was that he wanted to see the Messiah with his own eyes before he died. And according to the Bible, it says the Holy Spirit of God had revealed that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. Have you ever just gotten a word from God before and you knew that you knew that you knew it was true? You knew you could stand on it. You knew you could take it to the bank. But have you ever gotten a word like that before and it seemed like you waited and you waited, 
and you waited, but you still believed it. Maybe every once in a while you started to doubt it, but then you went back and you said, no, I know God's word is true. That's where Simeon is. God had heard him and had told him that he would see the Messiah. By the way, rabbinical literature, it doesn't say anywhere in the scripture here, but rabbinical literature tells us that if you believe it, and it's kind of a, um, this is or narrative stories that were told over and over again, that at this time in, in, uh, in Simeon's life, he was about 113 years of age. He was an old, old man about to die. And finally, we know that Mary and Joseph show up, right? Now, notice three things I want you to notice about Simeon real quickly. And they're right there uh, where it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was, one, two, three, watch this. He was number one, righteous and devout. In my outline, I have those underscored. One more time, a dedicated person, dedicated to God's purposes. He was righteous and devout. Number two, he was waiting. You might want to underline that. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. By the way, we don't use that word a lot, consolation. I had to go look it up in a dictionary just to know fully what it meant. You know, what does that really mean, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel? You know, if you look that up in Webster's Dictionary, you'll find out that consolation is really a relief of suffering. He was waiting for the relief of the suffering of Israel. He had seen his people in captivity. He had seen them longing. Now he wanted to see them relieved. He didn't want to see them suffer anymore. But notice this. He was, second thing, waiting. Now, before I go to the third thing, can we just pause for a minute and say, have you ever noticed how much you wait in life? I mean, really, have you thought about it before? We wait and we wait all the time. You wait in lines, right? There are, we even create rooms. We call them waiting rooms. You have to go into that room and wait for somebody, all right? And you know, maybe the worst of all waiting, I don't know if you're like me, here's what I think is the worst of all waiting. Getting on the phone and being on the phone waiting and waiting your turn. Due to the long call volume, we were gonna, you're going to be experiencing significant delays and you're, you want to pound your head against something, right? We wait and we wait and we wait. Did you know that there was a, there was, there was a research that came out a couple of years ago that said that you will wait six months of your life in traffic lights alone, waiting at red lights. Six months of your life, you'll be at traffic lights. Five years, you will stand in line. Five years of your life, you will be standing in line. I thought that the other night when I was down at the Tanger Outlet Polo Shop, the line was going, you know, a half mile. You know, we wait and we wait and we wait. And there's these beautiful, nice little things that people say, like the wait will be worth it, you know, Right? Why do we hate to wait so much, right? Good things come to those who wait, right? Ooh, but we still don't like to wait, do we? What's amazing about Simeon, we're never told how long he's waiting, but he is waiting. And by the way, here's what I want to tell you. If you've been waiting on something, what I want to tell you is that when you study waiting in the Scriptures, what you'll find is that Waiting actually produces maturity in people's lives. That's hard to hear, but it's true. The more you wait, the more you are called to trust. The more you wait, the more patience is to be developed in your life. Waiting actually develops maturity. I was on the way to church this morning. I was just thinking about how I've waited for God and how I've seen other people wait for God. And then my mind went to how people sometimes had to wait on Jesus and his ministry. Somebody, somebody brilliant ought to write a book about that. The people who waited on Jesus. Because there were people who had to wait on Jesus. But one of the things I think is that every time they waited for Jesus, some incredible things happened. Like you remember when they ran out of wine, right? 
And they had to wait until all of a sudden the best wine showed up, right? Remember Mary and Martha waiting on Jesus when their brother had died? And after that wait was over, their brother came back to life. You remember? There's a bunch of folks. Jairus' daughter, he was waiting for his daughter to be healed. And all of a sudden, a woman with an issue of blood showed up and touched. And all of a sudden, his daughter needs healing. But Jesus is doing something else right now, you know? Guys, waiting produces maturity in our lives. And I just, before I move on to this third thing about, about Simeon, I just wonder real quickly, what are you waiting on? Have you ever thought about what you're waiting on? And I don't mean like the small things, but small things are good too. Like sometimes I'm waiting for a vacation. You ever been there before? I'm looking forward. I'm waiting for my vacation. Sometimes we're waiting for a bonus or, you know, something to happen like that. I'm waiting for this. I'm waiting for that. But in the big picture, in the big scheme, what are you waiting for? What I would say to you is, if you are a Christ follower, we are called to be like Simeon. Simeon was waiting on the Messiah to show up. And I want to tell you that I believe God wants to have his children, his followers of Jesus, waiting for the Messiah to show up. You know, the first time he came and Jews expected him to rule over the world, he didn't rule like that. He did a different kind of thing. He did a redemption work. But the second time, it says he will come and bring his rule. We need to be waiting like Simeon, asking God for the Messiah to show up. Asking God for the consolation of our own world, the relief of suffering in our own world. Okay, notice three things about Simeon. The first one, he is, he's, he's just, righteous, he's devout. Secondly, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit is on him. Now, this is pre-Acts 2, so the Holy Spirit isn't in people yet. The Holy Spirit sometimes moves on people. He will get them, he will move over top of them and through them to do certain acts. And it says for Simeon that the Holy Spirit is on his life. There's a blessing, there's an anointing of the Holy Spirit on Simeon's life. So when Jesus shows up and he's been told that he would see the Christ, watch what happens. It says, moved by the Spirit, Luke 2, the next verse Moved by the Spirit, verse 27, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms. Can you picture a 113-year-old man doing this? He took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, that means King Lord. That, that's about what sovereignty is. King Lord, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. Some of your scriptures might even say, as you told, as you spoke in your word, all right, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Let me pause there for just a minute. Uh, weren't all Jews? Weren't all Jews waiting for the Messiah? Well, yes, all Jews were, but not in the sense that Simeon was. And he tells us by those very words. You see, most Jews were wait, um, awaiting a Messiah who was going to come and save them. He wasn't going to come save everybody. He was going to come and save them. As a matter of fact, once he saved them, he was going to put down everybody else. But when Simeon sees Jesus and holds him up and praises God for who he is, notice what he says. He says, a light for the Gentiles the salvation, a light for the Gentiles, and the glory of Israel. Simeon, for who he is in this moment, is opening up the window 
of the expectation of what Jesus is going to do. He has come as a salvation for all, not just for some, not just for an elect few, not just for a chosen bunch, but he's come for us all. Salvation for all. So this is a beautiful moment where he's holding Jesus up and he's seeing the, the salvation finally unfolded that he's prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed towards. And then it says this, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. I don't even know what that means, really. But I just think they stood back. Can you just imagine a mom and dad kind of looking over each other, catching each other's eyes, and just going, wow. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he speaks to her personally. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. A, a picture forward of how her soul would be pierced watching her own son die as a sacrifice for the world. A, a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is a story about a man who was old in the age but God still used him to confirm that Jesus was going to save the world. Now, there's a second person in this story that I want to draw your attention to. Her name is Anna, and she's also elderly. So watch this real quickly. It says, there was also a prophet, Anna. You know, the Bible only speaks about a few prophetesses, uh, the, the, a few ladies who were prophets, but this is one of them. Her name was Anna, and uh, the, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. By the way, how'd you like the scripture to say that about you, right? She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. So you can actually, you can interpret that one of two ways. She, had, she was 84 years old and she was a widow, or she had been married and now she had been a widow for 84 years, so she is well older than 84. We don't know which one exactly it means. But watch this. Notice what it says about her. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. By the way, that's a little bit of an overstatement because only the high priests could dwell in the temple. Everybody else had to leave the temple. But, it, but it, what it meant, even the, even the high priests didn't live there night and day all the time. And so she didn't really live there night and day, but it literally was when, when, the, when the doors were open, she was there. She was in the temple all during the day, all during the night. As long as, as much as she could be there, she was there. And what was she doing? She was fasting and she was praying. By the way, I should have, I should have pointed out that it says at that very moment, right? It says coming up to them at that very moment. Coming up to them at the very moment that, that, that Simeon is blessing uh, Jesus and the parents, and he's speaking these incredible words of the salvation. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God. And she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we get this picture of Anna. These, actually, you get a picture of two old people, right? Who both confirmed that this is the Messiah. And Anna is, I can just see this, you know, 84 plus older lady holding Mary's hands and looking at her and giving thanks for her and the journey they've been on and giving thanks for Jesus. And then I can see her every day thereafter telling, you should have seen the little baby that was here last week, two weeks ago, four months ago. He was the Messiah. She told everyone 
about that baby, and they, they were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Let me just pause one moment about Anna. Whether Anna was 84 or older than 84, she had definitely been a widow at least for a long period of time. And what I think is very interesting here, something we can learn from Anna, is that Anna didn't get bitter, she got better. Do you know what I mean? It's easy in sorrow sometimes to get bitter. But Anna, we find out, has let sorrow and let her pain turn her to God. She is holding on to God. In the middle of this long journey, maybe even a lot of solo flying in her life, she did not let her frustration, her anger, her pitiful me, she didn't let that happen to her. She looked at God and she trusted that God had a work for her, that he had a good work, and he did, right? He had a very good work in front of her. As a matter of fact, the greatest work she would ever do would be towards the end of her life. And I would say to you and me, oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let our sorrow ever turn us towards being bitter people. Help us to be better people. Even at the end of our lives, help us to be continually better and better people knowing that God's got a purpose for us. I want to close my message today by saying five things, okay? And you might want to write these five things down because I think these are five kind of real quick lessons we can learn out from this little story. And the first one is this, obedience. Go back to Mary and Joseph. Obedience. God blesses obedience. God just does. He blesses. He blesses. He blesses. He blesses obedience. Even if it's obedience will oftentimes be inconvenience and it will cost you something. But when you obey, God blesses it. And that's the story right there. They show up to the temple and what do they get? They get a literal blessing from Simeon, right? God blesses obedience. Write it down. Take it to the bank. It has been that way. It is that way. It will always be that way. When you obey God, God will bless you. Second thing that I want to point out, women. Women. In my notes, I just wrote down God has blessed women in ministry. And why do I think that's important? Well, just look at the story. I mean, over and over again, you see God using women. Now, if this were just an archaic document, it would have been so easy to leave women out because women were put down so much. But in God's document, the way God's going to tell the story for real, women show up over and over again doing phenomenal things for God. I mean, think about it. The very first people to to be the heralds of the resurrection are who? Women, right? Over and over again, God blesses women. Anna's story didn't have to be in the Bible, but this is one more time to me a confirmation that God uses women mightily in ministry. And in his purposefulness, he does tell the story that way, through the lens of women in ministry. And I tell you that because... When you come to this church, you're going to see women in ministry. And they're not going to be held down in different places and all the men have to do this. You know what? They're going to be serving communion right next to other folks doing communion. You've seen that. You know that's who we are. Why? Is it because we think we've got a corner on the market in that? No, it's right there in the Bible. God blesses and uses women in ministry. And I love that, that, that long after Jesus left the temple, and we are never told how old Simeon lived, but we know he didn't have long, right? There is Anna telling that story over and over again about the Messiah, a little baby showing up, and the blessing that was spoken over him. I just wanted to point that out. That's a learning moment, I think, a learning lesson out of this story. Here's the third thing, waiting. Waiting can be a very good thing. Now, sometimes we will try to run around it. Sometimes we'll try to get out of it. Sometimes we'll even try to hang up on it out of our frustration. But the truth of the the matter is, did you know that the Bible says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength? 
The Bible says there is a maturing process in our waiting. And I bet somebody right now, you're in this crowd and you've been waiting. I mean, you might have been waiting on a long, on a long, on a long line. Maybe it was for the job. Maybe it was for a direction. Maybe it was for a mate. Maybe it was for some peace in your own heart. Maybe it was for a wayward child to come back home. Can I just tell you, don't give up in the waiting. In the middle of your waiting, understand that God does good things in our waiting if we'll avail ourselves to his good work while we wait, right? Don't rush forward. Don't push the waiting out of its way. Understand that waiting is one of the ways God matures us in our faith. Fourth thing I want to share, I love this one. This story is about old people. That's cool. So here's, I don't how do you, how do you, what do you want me to write? Stephen, write this. Um, God shows us in this story that even with the elderly, he's not done with them yet. These two people right here, I mean, by today's standards, they are considered elderly, right? That's who they are. Matter of fact, they're kind of past elderly, whatever that is, right? They are they're old, right? They're there. 113, wow, he's out there, right? But you know what I love? He knows God's got a purpose for him. He knows his job's not done yet. And he is faithful to the end. So is Anna. They are living by faith. And you know what? They're not playing this little game that we play called retirement. You know, let me say that differently. Simeon ain't on the golf course, you know? He ain't out there just letting, you know, you know, just chilling out in the recliner. Whoop, whoop, you know, that's not who Simeon is. Simeon knows that God has a good work for him to do. And those of us who are here that are young, can I just speak to us for a minute? One of the things that we've got to understand is that the older folks ahead of us, they really do have something to teach us. And I don't mean like little small things about how to, you know, change spark plugs of an engine or to do this or that. I really mean things of the faith. Our older folks have something to teach us. We need to be ready to listen to them and draw upon their wisdom. But can I also speak to the folks who would say, you know, I don't know that I'm old, elderly yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I might be almost there. Can I tell you that one of the lies that you're often told is that you don't have anything to offer. These little whippersnappers, they know everything. They, they've got all their act together, and you don't have anything to offer anymore. And I think this story screams out that God blesses those who are older. Over and over again in the Bible, we're told that the young are supposed to learn from the old, right? And that the old, here's important, are supposed to teach and instruct the young. So there it is in this story. Oh, I thank God for Simeon. And I thank God for Anna. The last thing I just want to point out, uh, dedication matters. Devotion matters. When God's looking to do a redemptive work, who are the people that he picks? Are they the people that have the greatest education? No. Are they the people with the biggest bank accounts? No. But they are the people whose hearts are solely his. They're the people who are dedicated. They're crying out to be used of God. Now, there ain't no way in the world Mary ever was thinking that she would be the mother of God, right? Or Joseph the father. They just want to be used by God. And God in his plan, he picks and uses dedicated and devoted people. And I guess what I want to ask you is, what did 2016 look like? And what will 2017 look like for you? You know, I would pray for you. Maybe this is why you came to church here today. I would pray for you that 2017 for you 
would be a greater year of devotion and passion and dedication to Jesus Christ. No matter your age, no matter your income, no matter your education, that you'd be able to say, I want to be completely available to be used by God. I want to be poured out like a drink offering to Him. I want to be dedicated to God. Can I just share something with you? Um, a couple nights ago, what we call Christmas Adam. Have you heard of that before? Christmas Adam. Christmas Eve Eve Adam. Uh, we, on Christmas Adam, we do a big dinner at Julie's house in Eatonton, Georgia. And we do this thing called fondueing. You know what I'm talking about? But not with cheese. We do it with grease and steak. I mean, we're going to do it right. Right? So it's filet mignon and it's steak. And I want to show you this one picture here real quickly. If it's okay, I'm just going to kind of stay there on that picture for a minute. That's me, the third person up there on the right, and Julie next to me. And at the very head of that table is Julie's dad, Johnny. And um, I told you guys that my dad passed away when I was a sophomore in college, and I married into a very godly family. And uh, this, is, this is my father-in-law at the head of the table and my mother-in-law right next to him. And, and, and we're ready to eat, but nobody's eating yet. And you'll notice that my father-in-law has a Bible in his lap, and he always takes time to read the Christmas story together as a family. Let's look at the other end of the table for a minute. We used to have little small kids, but now we don't have small kids anymore. They're getting bigger. Uh, my son over here on the far left at Emory, uh, Jesse's my future son-in-law getting married to my daughter in May. Abby there, who's in college about to graduate. All of the grandkids are, they're not babies anymore. They're getting older. Let's go back to that first picture for a minute. Johnny is about to read Luke 2, but I want to tell you what my father-in-law said because it inspired me. A couple of nights ago, before he opened up the Bible, he looked around the table at the other end of that table where all the grandkids are, but not just the grandkids. It's not just the grandkids. It's his daughters and his son-in-laws. And he said three things. The first thing he said was, I am so proud of every one of you. I'm so proud for your accomplishments in school and sports and all these things that you've done. I, am, I just want to tell you that as your grandfather, I am proud of you. The second thing he said but most importantly, I am so thankful that every one of you around this table have made a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ, that every person in our family is saved, and we all together know who our Savior is. He made that statement right there, and that's a beautiful thing for your family to be able to say. And if your family isn't able to say that, I pray you would pray them into the kingdom and have those conversations with them. And the third thing he said, and this is that part about the dedication. He said, and here's what I want you to know about this family. We are passionate about Jesus Christ. We walk in favor. We want to walk in his blessings and we want to be obedient to him. And then he looked at his grandkids and he said, and I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about your children and your children's children. This is our family. We walk in line with Jesus in favor with him, because we are followers of the king. Well, I'm sitting on the side there, pastor, right? I'm sitting on the side there thinking about my future. Frankly, transparently, thinking about the conversation that I will have one day when the Bible's sitting on my lap. And I'm sitting there looking down the table at my children and my sons or daughters-in-law and my grandchildren, maybe even my great-grandchildren, and how I want to say those same words. I'm proud of you. 
I'm so glad every one of you are in the, in the fold of the faith. Every one of you are dedicated and saved by Jesus Christ. And thirdly, this is who we are. In this family, we are dedicated. We walk with Christ. We walk in his favor. We're passionate followers of Jesus. It's probably who you are today because you're in church on Christmas Day, right? I want to say thank you for being in church on Christmas Day. And I want to give you this great challenge. Here's the great challenge. That in this coming year, it would be your most dedicated your most devoted year. And that your devotion, no matter your age, that your devotion would bless others, especially your family and your family tree. And may it also bless this place, this faith family. This is God's word for us on this Christmas day. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are, and we give thanks, Jesus, for your great love of us, that you care so much to come for us. And Father, I thank you for every person here who's put their life on pause today on this Christmas day and just said, I'm going to go worship and be with my family today. May you see our devotion, and may you see our longing, may you see our hunger to be used by you, and may you see most of all our thankfulness to say we are grateful for who you are and your great love for us. And Lord, I pray for every person here, not only for this Christmas day and this Christmas season, but for the new year that is to come, that you would make this a year that, that helps us stay on track with you, to walk passionately with you, that when we fall, you would raise us back up, and that, God, you would help us to be a people of devotion, help us to be a people of deep dedication. May our church be that kind of people, Lord, we pray. And Lord, I pray for a blessing. In the same way that Simeon held up Jesus and he blessed him, I pray a blessing over these folks who are here today. I pray, God, you would bless their families, that you'd bless their work. I pray you'd bless our church. I pray that you would put your anointing over their lives. And, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use them, use them powerfully in your hand to be ambassadors, to be followers of Jesus who share the good news with others. May your blessing rest on them, I pray. And Jesus, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. It's unending. It's unconditional. It never gives up on us. I thank you for your love. As we give in the next few minutes, Father, we pray that you would help us give out of the overflow of our hearts, of our gratitude. We give to your kingdom gain. We worship you. We declare your worth in our lives. And we ask you to use our gifts for your kingdom purposes locally here and beyond this place as we send our gifts around the world. Use them for the advancing of your kingdom, Jesus. And we pray this all in your name. Jesus, Emmanuel, amen.